to talking to you about kernel compiling over a distributed um, network with a program called distcc. Now this is the third part in a kernel compilation series. The first one we covered how to compile the kernel, which I don't even remember how to do it anymore. The second one we talked about how to patch a kernel, which no one does anyway. But in this one, we're going to be talking about something that is infinitely useful, I think, than anything, because it's not just compiling a kernel over distcc, but compiling anything over distcc. So distcc, that's D-I-S-T-C-C, it's Distributed comp Compiler. Um, distcc is basically, you could think of it as a front end for GCC. GCC being the compiler that we all know and love. And distcc will work if you're compiling code um, that was written in C, C++, Objective-C, Objective-C++. So basically, if you think about it, if, you've, if you set up distcc on your internal network, it can become the default compiler for pretty much anything you're going to be compiling. So if you're someone who finds yourself compiling a lot of software from source for whatever reason, whether you're using Gen 2, or whether you're using Slackware, or whether you just like to compile something uh, from source because you want, you know, you want it to be configured exactly for your system, or maybe you just can't find it uh, in your repo. If you're if you're finding yourself doing that a lot, you're going to find that just having, you know, if you've got a lot of computers on your internal network anyway, they're all on anyway. Why not? put them all into a, a distcc kind of setup so that you can compile things. It'll it'll increase compile times uh, substantially. And I used to think that maybe the benefit wasn't really that big of a deal because, you know, you have to think, well, it's compiling over a, over a, um, over a network. And so you, you kind of think to yourself, well, the time that it takes for all that data to get over your network is basically time is just slowing things down, right? It's just why not just run it on your local host, on your on your you know, on your one computer. The the data doesn't have to travel back and forth between computers. It, and surely it must be approximately the same kind of kind of deal. But I can tell you for sure, simply because um as part of a project I was working on, I was monitoring, it was part of my job to monitor the network traffic, the internal network traffic during uh compilation some rendering of uh, some video stuff. And uh, for sure, the network will absolutely fill itself up to maximum capacity uh, if you're doing things like this, distributed uh, workloads. It just, I mean, you might you might uh, be monitoring your network while you're streaming something from YouTube or something, and you're probably only seeing, you know, 25% of the load being reached. Not a big deal. Um, and I think that's probably at the most. But if you if you do a if you do a net stat like net stash space dash i for your interface. So in my case it would be WLAN zero. For you it might be ETH zero whatever space dash d space eight. That's the delay in seconds that this is going to refresh. Space dash c for a continuous um, net stat. That will show you your traffic workload. And if you watch that while you're, for instance pinging some website, you'll see little tiny little changes. If you watch it while you're streaming video from some place, you'll see a little bit of a workload. Now you monitor that if you're doing a distcc or some kind of uh, clustered, like a Beowulf cluster like in uh, Deep Geeks episode where he was doing a, a Beowulf cluster 
to, um, to convert video, you will absolutely see your internal network 98, 97% of its capacity. So on a, on a 100 megabit network, that's not too shabby. And, um, and that doesn't cancel out the benefit of having, of, of, of distributing the, of distributing the compilation. That, that, that's actually worth it. You'll you'll be amazed, I think. Okay. So now that I've convinced you that you've got to you've got to do this, let's set it up. So I think it's my impression that most distributions come with dist cc, but if not, you can always install it. You're going to want to make sure that all your computers on your network are using the same version of uh, dist cc and the same version of gcc. If you want to just if you're just going to use dist cc once in a while, you could always just give it a flag during compilation, you know, so when you're compiling whatever you're about to compile, just add at the end of the at the end of the line of the make line, just add CC, both capital C's, capital C, capital C equals dist CC, all lowercase, D-I-S-T-C-C. Um, and that will flip over and use dist CC as the compiler for that instance. But I think more often than not, it's worth just having dist CC as your default compiler. Even if you're away from your network, it, it won't matter because your your computer that you're sitting at is going to be in the list of dist CC computers. So it will it will only use your local computer. It's not like it's not going to work if you're not in your network around all the other computers. It's just not going to give you the benefit of having a distributed compilation process. So let's assume we're going to set this up forever. The the way to do it would be to add a symlink of dist cc in your in your user slash your, your user folder. So your tilde slash bin directory. So that is that's your local little binary directory. And you can add dist cc and uh, a symlink to gcc and g plus plus. Um, and all that other good stuff within this little user slash bin directory. Add, make sure that that's part of your path. It should be, as far as I know, it usually is. Um, and then also add it to your shell's RC file. So if you're using bash, it would be tilde slash dot bash RC. Um, and just make sure that the um, that the symlinks for those you know, the, the user slash bin is, is in your path. And make sure that the dist cc is defined as your first choice for a compiler. So that would be cc equals dist cc right there in your dot bash rc file um, just to make sure that when you're compiling, it defaults, it knows that the default compiler is dist cc, okay? So that's setting it up as a default compiler on the host computer or the master computer. That is the computer you're sitting at doing all your work. Um, what you're going to want to do is also go around to each computer on your network, all the little client computers or the slaves, and you're going to want to set that up. You're going to set up a dist cc daemon to run on those computers because your local host, your your master computer is going to need to going to call out to these computers. They need to have a dist cc daemon running. To to start the daemon on the machines um, you, I mean, you can you can set it up to start automatically on boot time, which which would be fine. You can it needs to be as far as I know started as root, but you can then use it as any user. So it can you can start it as root, for instance, on boot on boot at boot time. But then you go in and you can say, okay, so dist ccd d for daemon space dash user space clatu space dash allow space
space 192.168.x.x. Um, so you can limit it to whatever master computer IP address you're going to allow to use this daemon. You can also say you can also set that to be a range. Like if, so, if you wanted to say 192.168.x. You know, zero slash thirty-two. I don't know whatever whatever range of IP addresses you want to um, to allow. I usually just limit it to to one computer. I guess it depends on your on your workflow. If you if you're compiling on a lot of different machines, I guess it might be helpful to have those open up to a whole range of computers. But um, it, I think it's easiest to go ahead and have it start up at boot time, and you can do that with just whatever distribution you're using. There's usually some either a service manager in the GUI to start and stop services at boot, or you can go into, you know, the INET or the um, the init uh, folders or the RC folders, whatever, um, to start services upon boot time. And for a lot of good information on that kind of thing, you can listen to episode, I think it's like 110 or 112 or 114, something like that, that Dan Washcoe did on, on, on that very subject of how to, you know, the init process, the boot the boot process and how things are started uh, and when they're started during the boot process. So listen to that because he gives you a lot of great information just depending on whichever distribution you're using. Okay, so now this CC should be compiled, I mean, uh, installed and running on all your little slave computers and you've got it as the, ma the default compiler on your master computer. So now on your master computer, your local host, you're going to want to make it aware of all the IP addresses that it is able to use. And and I should mention, I mean, you can you don't have to switch disk CC over to a specific user. You can just keep it running as root. Like if it starts up at boot time, I, I think I, I know it it starts up as root. I think it switches over to a disk CC user on its own because it doesn't want to occupy the user ID of the root user. So I'm pretty sure it switches over anyway. It's just that if you want it specifically to be running as a different user, you have that option as well. But otherwise, all you basically need to do is install the disk CC daemon, or rather have that up and running on all those computers one way or another. And so they're they're set to go. I just have mine set to come on at boot time so that I don't have to think about it. Whenever I do a compilation, it's it's just kicking in. It's just doing it's doing the compilation over the network per whatever's available. Okay, so now to um, on your, your master computer, to make it aware of the IP addresses on your network, you're going to want to add either the host names or the IP addresses to uh, tilde slash dot dist cc slash host. So just do an ls dash a in your home directory and you'll find a dot dist cc directory and in there there is a hosts file. And you're going to want to list all the host names or the IP addresses in the order of the priority, uh, the priority being the more powerful computers should come at the top. So if you've got, you know, like 10 computers on your network and two of those are really super powerful, you know, dual core, um, multiple chip computers, you want those at the top of the host list. And then if you've got computers that are really fairly slow, you can put them towards the bottom. And the reason that you want to do it in the order of the priority is that you want your your local computer doesn't really have any way of knowing, you know, which is the most powerful computer. So it's going to divvy out the jobs according to what you whatever you define it to do. It's going to give the bulk of the jobs to the top listing and then 
down as the workload needs to be distributed. So you want to make sure that you're using the more powerful ones at the top. They also need to be the same architecture. You know, you're not going to be able to use PowerPC uh, computer to help to pitch in compiling something on an an x86 or you know an i386 uh, computer. So make sure that they're all the same architecture and make sure that they're in the order of the priority so that the more powerful ones will get the brunt of the workload. Once you've got all that stuff added to the host file of the distcc folder in your home directory, that's it's all set up. So you've got distcc as your default compiler, you've got your um, your slave computers running a daemon of distcc, and you've got your master computer aware that those little slave computers are out there with uh, IP addresses uh, defined in the host uh, file. And, and don't remove, unless you mean to, do not remove localhost from the distcc list. Um, the only reason you'd want to do that is if you want your the computer that you're working at not to pitch in to the compilation process. But otherwise, leave that localhost in there because you'll you'll want that to help out on the on the compilation process. When you start compiling the code that you're going to compile, you're going to want to specify how many jobs you want to create. So instead of just saying, "Okay, compile this," make you know cc equals discc, you're going to want to tell the computer how many jobs it has to send out over the network. And the general rule of thumb seems to be the number of CPUs that exist on the network times two, and then maybe plus one per per CPU. So for instance, like if you've got two machines on your network and they both only have a single core processor, you would use dash J for jobs, four, and then maybe add like one per processor, so it'd be six. So dash J six for two computers with a single core processor each. Or you could say, like if you have uh, two machines that have dual uh, dual core processor chips in them, then you could use, you, you could say um, dash J eight and then plus one per processor, so it'd be 10. So dash J space 10 and so on. So that's that's the general rule of thumb. You can You can give more or less, just kind of depending on what you know about your computers. For instance, if I had a couple of really slow processors on the network, I probably wouldn't give them an extra job. I would give them just, I would assign one job per processor because I don't think, and I could be wrong, but it's not my impression that they could really handle an extra job. They're slow processors. They're like 400 megahertz. It's not going to do you any good to give them an extra job. But then again, a dual core uh, machine, those are pretty powerful. You can you can throw it an extra job. It can handle it. Now, there's also an argument that you could even go higher if the processors are actual separate processors. So like a, a machine where you've got multiple CPU chips in them because uh, there is, I guess, a school of thought that the uh, single processor, the single core processors, multiple single core mo- processors are more efficient than, for instance, one multiple core processor. And whether that's true or not, I'm not too sure. I haven't, I'm I'm not, I couldn't say for sure, but um, I've definitely heard a lot of arguments that lean in that direction. And as you do it more and more, you'll kind of get a feel for what your network or what your, you can play around with different settings. It also obviously depends on what else those computers are doing. You know, if, if if they're not just being dedicated to compiling your software or whatever, then quite possibly you don't want to give them as many jobs as you would if you know that they're just going to be sitting around doing nothing otherwise. 
to monitor the compilation process, you've got a tool that should should be installed along with distcc called distccmon-text. And this is just a little text tool that you can also use, you know, via SSH if you're not going to be at the at the host computer at the time of compilation, you can always SSH into it and use this little application. So it's distccmon-text and then you enter the seconds that you want per update. So if you want an update every, I don't know, 10 seconds, then it would be distccmon-text space 10. And that just shows you um, a list of the computers the, the IP addresses that are compiling and what the workload for each of those is and just kind of gives you an update on the status and how quickly it's going. So that's a handy little monitoring tool. Very simple. Obviously, it's got a pretty low overhead. It's just a little text, you know, terminal, console, program, whatever. You can also just, if you need to, you know, if you're doing some kind of super secret software compilation and you're nervous about people, you know, monitoring the... Uh, the compilation process on your network, you can actually do this all via SSH. I've never done it over SSH. Rather than just entering the IP address of each computer, the distcc host file, you would enter the IP address of each computer preceded by the at symbol. And that will tell it to run it via SSH. You just need to let the let the host file know that you're going to be doing it SSH and you're going to need to start certain things up via SSH. And... Um, Obviously, for best results, I mean, I make sure that you've you've generated all your keys and everything like that. Um, that's how to compile over a distributed network. Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by Caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs. You, uh, you still here? Hey, come here. I'm gonna give you a little tip. So you want you want some real power behind your your compilation? Here's what you do. You go out to a cafe, right? You look around. Lots of people on computers. You wait till you know one of them gets up, goes to the bathroom or something. You go over to their computer and really quick install Linux onto their machine when they're not looking. And then you really, really quick, install the disk CCD daemon. Start that up. And, you know, you do this to every person who goes to the bathroom, right? They, they
they all get up, they're going to get more coffee, going to the bathroom, whatever. You, uh, you swap out their computer really quick. And, you know, if they come back and they figure it's a little bit strange, just, just like say out really loud, like say, oh, I see Microsoft just released a new software update. And they'll just think it's like a new software update. And then start your compilation and uh, take, take advantage of all those computers. It's, it's the way to do it.